Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. And today we are joined by an old guest. I don't mean in age. I mean, it's been an age since we've had her on. <laughs> it's Erin McChristy. Welcome back, Erin. Hi, Erin. Hi. Woo. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It, um, the last time Erin was on was actually season one, episode six, The Big O, and now she is on for an episode called Nipple Confusion. Am I right about that? Detect a theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's a naughty title. We think I'm of Aaron. I'm dirty girl. <laughs> We're just going to clip that out. That's dirty with two R's. <laughs> I mean, that makes Aaron, she was our third guest ever. Is that correct? I believe that is correct. Yes, it is correct. You're very I mean, we are early throwing on. back. Throw that means back. I get a bronze. I like yes uh yes that is what that means um I say I say yes but we usually ask our guests who are returning um just how they're doing what they've been up to I actually don't have the date Caleb do you remember the date that that was that was a really long time ago I mean that would have been summer 2020 whoa summer 2020 oh great that's when we started no. Please tell us every single thing that has happened to you since 20. No, I'm kidding. Um, but just like, <laughs> no. you know, anything you feel like sharing well, from back then. Yeah. To now. You know, you guys are coming to me at a good point in life. So this is great. Since 2020, lots of things has, have happened. I still have the same job. <laughs> Excellent. But everything else in life is different. Oh, I have the same children. I was about to check on that. Yeah, I was nervous. (laughs) And quick review, the job is labor and delivery nurse, correct? Correct. And the children are a daughter and a son. Yes, Sage, who's 10 now, and Wesley, who is seven. Wow. However, I live in a different home and I have a different companion. (laughs) (laughs) I no longer am married to their father. That was finalized in December of 2021 and is wonderful. So don't feel sorry for me and my divorce because I am thrilled about it. (laughs) Well, then congratulations. Best thing that's happened to me in years. Wow. And even better, even as though that wasn't great enough. I found like the man of my dreams over here, James. What makes him the man of your dreams? Well, This is going to be hard since he's right there. (laughs) Speak in some sort of code. Does he know Pig Latin? Do all of our listeners know Pig Latin? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't even know where to start. First of all, we're both givers. And so that's actually a good combination because then we're like giving to each other rather than taking and it makes it hard to like take advantage of each other when you're like both giving. He is just, he knows me. We have, we share the same brain. Oh, is that painful? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but like, we don't even have to talk to each other. We already know. That's cool. And he, he's in healthcare. He's a physical therapist assess- assistant which is great to have somebody who's in the same industry. Like he understands all that health mumbo jumbo that us healthcare workers talk about. It was actually through Facebook dating that we met each other. Oh, that's cool. Which is kind of outside of our, either one of our comfort zones, but we just were 
in a low enough point, each of us, that we just were like, hey, let's see what this shit's all about. And so then we did and luck would have it. We found each other and, and it's wonderful. I knew immediately that this was the guy that I should have been with all along. I wish I hadn't spent all that time struggling through a marriage that wasn't right for me, but he was struggling through the same kind of marriage. And so that we were the perfect combination of each other. And it happened so soon after the divorce that I knew that people would be like, what is wrong with her? Why is she moving forward so fast? But it was like, you know what? I don't have to explain myself to anybody. This is my truth. And I'll wait for the rest of the world to catch up. We'll stick together and we'll just wait for the rest of the world to catch up. I spent so much time being jealous of people who had amazing relationships, who just knew each other on a deeper level and just like, I don't know, even you and Mark, I'm sorry. I was jealous of how great of a relationship you guys have. And now I like found mine. I don't feel jealous of other people because I'm like, oh, okay, this is what it's like to be with somebody who knows you on a level that you can't even, like, I feel like I knew him before I knew him. Wow. I'm really happy for you. I know that you wanted that for such a long time. And, you know, I wonder if part of it too, like maybe you felt alone even when you weren't single, you know? And, and so. Absolutely. I have never felt so lonely as I did and just kind of like, I know this isn't right, but I guess when you're married, you're supposed to just stick it out, whatever. And I tried to make it work in every way, but there was no way that was going to make me happy. And I just wasn't happy. And I went through, well, I just need to hang in there until the kids are older. And then I read an article that said that doing it just for the kids is not the right way to do it because then they grow up and realize that their whole childhood was a lie. If you actually do it when they're kids, they get to learn how you stood up for your own desire to be happy. Your need for happiness mattered. And you're saying that that you're willing to fight for it instead of them growing up and thinking they grew up in this perfect family that they always got along and we just hid all our problems from them. No, we didn't hide it. We hit it for a while, but then it was once it was done, it was done. <laughs> it's like, no, wow. I can't go on being this unhappy any longer. I have to stand up for my need for happiness. I'm too unhappy. This is really wonderful to hear. I'm yes, there I'm telling you, my life is amazing now. Whereas <laughs> six months ago, um, it was not. <laughs> It was not. I hit rock bottom. I I have a scar on my face from hitting literal rock bottom. Wow. Now I'm back and I'm happy and I survived. I am a survivor of some really hard times and I can say that. Well, it's lovely to have you on and for this to be sort of like capturing this really great moment in your life, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's lovely. You know, I know. I've been <laughs> wanting to tell you all along, but I figured you'd be like, seriously, you went from one guy to the other in two months after you'd been with the other one for 15 years, seriously. <laughs> but that whole relationship, 
I had been trying at it for so long for me, it had been over for a lot longer than it had been over for everyone else. Like I had been pretending to the outside world that things were okay way longer than anybody even knew. So I was probably the one who knew it was over before anyone else did, even him. And I think it's such a good point that you can't be too concerned with how things are going to look to other people because they don't know what's going on in your own life and what's best for you. And and I honestly think of something that Gwen Chambers, ah, the parenthood character, says. She said at the beginning of this season to Christina, she said, this is not the dress rehearsal. This is it. And I really do think of that sometimes in everyday mm-hmm. life. And if you meet the right person, you're only going to have so many days in this life on this earth. Mm -hmm. If you know that you want to be with someone, why would you waste days because other people might have an opinion about it that makes you feel? Yeah, exactly. There is no option in my mind to be like, oh, James, you're great. You're great. And yeah, but the timing is wrong. (laughs) (laughs) No, nope. <laughs> I'm not letting him move on to somebody else. <laughs> well, and I get that this is the Parenthood podcast and not This Is Us, but like literally the last episode of This Is Us was Rebecca and Miguel saying goodbye to each other and they're not going to be together for another eight years. And we know this because it's like a non-linear storytelling because Miguel was best friends with her her husband who died and they were like, how will this look? And her son was a dick to Miguel and was like, my dad's rolling over in his grave if he knew this. So they separated. And then now you're like, those were eight years. You could have been together. <laughs> Sorry. I know that's fake. Um, that's not real. But that's what we do here. No, um, <laughs> but it makes sense. It's yeah. got to be based on a real story. Well, and and even if it isn't, I think that's, I, I've talked about this before. I mean, it's why I'm an English teacher. It's why I have a you know TV rewatch podcast stories are how we understand our own emotions and you know it helps us reflect mm-hmm. on our own lives and situations and you know we we thought mm-hmm. of you for this particular episode for a lot of reasons they're like we're they're just going to keep popping up i wonder if you saw yourself in any of these stories <laughs> oh boy did i <laughs> so i did yeah. i did so we have the yeah definitely i have <laughs> a lot to say about this episode <laughs> Well, that's maybe the perfect segue if we're ready. I'm ready. Today we're discussing Parenthood Season 5, Episode 3, Nipple Confusion. (laughs) (laughs) It was written by Sarah Watson, directed by Patrick Norris. It originally aired on October 10th, 2013. And here is the TV Guide synopsis. Crosby and Jasmine struggle to adjust to parenthood for the second time. Christina and Adam deal with a new dynamic. Joel and Julia face pressures. Sarah turns to Hank for comfort, and Zeke tries to get Camille to see things his way with regards to the house. I just want to note, again, we had a clip in the previously on that we didn't actually see in the episode. What was it? I don't even remember that. It was before Christina's announcement. She turns to Adam and says, you've got my back, right? Does she not? Yes. Does she no, not- we didn't hear. We just heard Heather introducing her and then she walked up. Oh, wow. I just fully believed that I had seen that. I, the parenthood gaslighted me again. It's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but anyway, I thought, Aaron, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about 
has to do with your career working with babies, newborns, and Jasmine and Crosby's struggles with their newborn in this episode. Why are some babies resistant to the bottle? (laughs) Wow. Why? Does anyone know why? Nobody knows why, but don't you think that a kid who's hungry will eventually figure out how to eat? I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm sorry with my personal experience. I didn't experience that, like having a baby who wouldn't take the bottle because if they're hungry enough, won't anybody eat? (laughs) Like, I think it was more like having to be patient with the baby and being like, I don't know. Sometimes you coddle your kids and you're like, (laughs) oh, let me try to bend myself to your will. And I don't know. That's how I feel is that it was kind of like, if the baby was hungry enough, it'll take the bottle. You just have to coerce. I don't know. I've never experienced a baby that won't take a bottle. That's honestly my, my truth. Probably you just (laughs) deliver the babies and then the the women send them off into the world and never know what happens to them that's what (laughs) happens i take care of them for two hours wow and then off into the world they go with their families and i hope for the best for them (laughs) (laughs) because i get a little snapshot of what their life is going to be like Mm -hmm. and Sometimes I worry for this poor child. Wow. Like, oh, you poor thing. This is going to be a hard life. I'm not sure that your parents are really going to make it. And if they do, it's going to be really rough for you. Wow. <laughs> but then also, you sometimes I'm taking a baby upstairs with two parents who you're just like, you lucky, lucky baby. You are going home to the most loving family and you are going to be loved by so many. And you'll probably never know just how great you have it because you never get to have this point of view that I have, which is I get a snapshot, you know, and people, when they're having babies and labor and delivery, you get to see them in some pretty intense moments. And so then you get to see kind of some true colors of how people are. And I'm always looking at the dads because that's always interesting to me. Just like when at a wedding, I always want to look at the groom rather than the bride because I want to see what their reaction is. <laughs> like, how are you reacting to her? How are you reacting to this birth? How are you reacting? Well, first of all, I want to make sure he's not going to pass out because that's a bad day for me. (laughs) Second, the look on their face, because they haven't known this baby for nine months like the mom has. They don't, the, the birth of that baby is really the birth for them as a parent. That birth, I love looking at the dad because they always have this reaction like, overwhelming. I had no idea this is how big of a deal this would be. Like I had no idea that this, that I was even capable of feeling this much love for another human being. It's an amazing thing to see. And just the tears streaming down these grown men who are probably linebackers or something. (laughs) And that's why I feel like some of them, we have to worry about passing out 
It's because the immense amount of emotion that they feel in that moment is just so intense that... Okay, this is fascinating for many reasons, but one of the reasons is first couple episodes of this season, when baby Aida was born, Crosby did not feel that way about her. He did not feel a connection. And I'm curious, do you have any idea if that happens very often with parents? Like, Yes, because I've seen the other side where we have to like wake them up for the birth. And then after <laughs> that, they still act like they don't really care. Uh-huh. And then I've seen ones who... You can see that they're struggling. Like, this is really awesome. And it almost seems like they're seeing it from an outside their body kind of thing. And I don't, I mean. That feels like Crosby. Something I've identified in the last um, year is that the human brain is extremely complicated. And the emotional connections and disconnections that we can make and how well we can disconnect ourselves from a situation because the emotions of it are too big mm-hmm. is just immense. Yeah. Wow. And so I think that that happens also with parenthood is sometimes you're like, the feelings are too big. And I don't know how to deal with them. And so I have to distance myself from it so that I can take it in in the increments that I can take it in. So I don't I'm not sure what was happening with Crosby in those moments, but I can see where it takes a little bit for someone to adjust to that, depending on what the scenario is, what the perspective they're coming from. Okay. If Jasmine and Crosby were in your delivery room and you just had that snapshot moment, what would your assessment of them be? Yeah, this is your snapshot. I feel like Jasmine did a great job of kind of standing back and letting Crosby figure it out. I really enjoyed that she was able to, like, moms want to just coddle and like, okay, I'll just do it. And she was so exhausted and she was so tired that she was like, you've got to do something. And she let go of control and let him, she opened up a space for him to step up as a dad. Yeah. And he really came through, you know, he really did. Yeah. And I actually, I think it helped him compensate for some of that feeling that he'd been missing. Cause I, at least in this episode, it was nice to see that, he maybe felt like he had nothing to offer mm-hmm. the baby. Mm-hmm. Like he can't feed her, yeah. not the way that Jasmine can. Mm-hmm. And if she was resistant to him, that was only compounding that problem. And when he said, mm-hmm. you know, it's important to me that you know that I'm here for you too. Mm-hmm. And when she finally took the bottle from him, it sure seemed like he was more connected than we've seen him up to now. I felt like that's what we were supposed to get from that moment. I, I agree. I thought that was yeah. his his bonding with her moment. And it's true. If Jasmine right. had swooped in, would he have had that moment? Yeah, that's exactly. a really good point. That's what I thought was great was that she she was around the corner listening to this. Mm-hmm. Like she so easily could have been like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. I'll just take care of it and I'll do what I do, you know, yeah. but she backed away and let him step up. And I thought that that was really powerful that she was able to like subdue her instincts to want to just swoop in and take care of the situation but she was so tired she needed to let him step up and help yeah didn't sage end up having to have a feeding tube right yes she very much did well i wondered i mean is that how different is that from like not latching on you know because in both cases 
Oh, it wasn't a latching problem. It was that she had the she had an allergy to milk, and mm. most formula is made of cow's milk, and she had an allergy to cow's milk, and she was not growing. The pediatric guidelines are that they're supposed to double their birth weight by like, I want to say two months of age. But when you weigh nine and a half pounds, it's really hard to weigh 19 pounds. By the, yeah. like, but anyway, beyond that, she lost weight mm. and she just wasn't gaining. And I was driving myself nuts trying to make it better. And my partner at the time decided to write a book and was not available to me to, to step up and help me while I was exhausted out of my mind. I try not to rewrite history, but I do remember being extremely mad. I felt so alone in this very big time of need and that I had to beg for help. She was screaming every single night. I couldn't get her to go to sleep. And the only way that I could get her to sleep was to walk around outside, not inside, outside. So I remember Decatur, Georgia, which is in the middle of Atlanta. It's just like this small town in the middle of the big old city of Atlanta, walking around the streets all night long so that she could sleep. And I remember thinking, I want my life back. Wow. I wish I could have my life the way that it was before this. And being scared by that thought, thinking that I don't love my daughter enough to not wish that I could have life before her back. But I was so desperate. And as soon as I walked back inside, she woke up and started screaming again. And there was no, I had no family, no friends around me. And my husband was dead asleep because he had been up writing a freaking book all night. And I just remember feeling so alone, just feeling so alone. And like, I didn't know what to do. And yeah, that has nothing to do with latching on. It just has to do with me trying to do the best. I tried to breastfeed her, but my pediatrician actually said at three weeks old, you're doing too much. You can't do this. He says, I'm very breast friendly, but you've lost all of your birth weight. Plus you are emaciated. Like you just look horrible. <laughs> He'd said it in the very nicest way. Like it's time to call in the formula gods. <laughs> And I did. And then that still didn't work out. I mean, still four months later, she still wasn't gaining weight. And it was because she was vomiting up everything because she had a cow's milk allergy and we didn't know it. And so she had, because she's a princess, she had to have the finest formula on the market, which was $46 a can. <laughs> Didn't you? That it sounds like me when I was a baby. I was allergic to milk. Wow. Oh, were you? Okay. At least breast milk. And I know I was allergic to formula too. Wow. Because my parents okay. joked that whatever they fed me, they called liquid gold because it was so expensive. Wow. Yes. And I made a joke that my parents laugh at to this point that why don't I just pour the formula directly into the washing machine? Because that's all oh. it would go in. 
and oh. then it would come back out oh. and it was like why even bother feeding the baby why the middleman <laughs> pour it in the washing machine but when she went to the hospital as horrible as, as it sounds to have your four month old in the hospital at least finally I knew that people believed me because I fought so hard for people to even believe me because I was a first time mom so what the hell do I know like I was accused of overfeeding her but my instinct was something's not right with this baby I just knew something wasn't right so I took her to doctors and they were just like you're overfeeding her and I'm like I don't think I am because if I were overfeeding her, she would actually be gaining, gaining weight. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Like either way, something would be absorbing, right? So anyway, finally someone believed me after she dropped weight, like a lot of weight. Yeah. And so it feels terrible still that I had to have her admitted to a hospital for people to finally see that I was not full of shit, that this is not right. What's happening is not right. And so then she got all of re the resources and she got to have the feeding tube that just dropped the most expensive formula on the market <laughs> that's for NICU babies into her belly one drop at a time so that it wasn't being regurgitated. It was what she needed. I don't understand it. And she still struggles to grow to this day. Wow. <laughs> She's still tiny. She's the same size as my seven-year-old. Wow. I don't know what it'll take to make that girl grow, but. <laughs> well, a lot of what you said reminded me of this storyline. It, at least maybe not just this episode, but like Crosby and Aida so far, you know, Aida is a really hard baby. That's something that Jasmine has said. She um, mm. cries all the time. And Crosby even had a moment where he looked at her <laughs> said, I'm sure you're going to be the best thing that's ever happened to me, but I really hate you right now. And we were like, whoa. And so you, you saying that thing about wanting your life back. I mean, I think it's good to have you on here mm -hmm. attesting to the fact that this, these are the things that don't often get covered in TV shows or, you know, on social media or, you know, whatever. It's supposed mm -hmm. to just be a miracle the whole time. And obviously you love your kids so, so much. And, you know, Crosby loves his kids too. But man, you know, it's, it's how, how hard when mm -hmm. the baby is crying constantly and whether it's a latching thing or whether it's, you know, an allergy as it Anything. was in your case, if you can't be there, if you can't make it stop, that must be insane. <laughs> I mean, that must just make you feel like you're losing your mind. It is insane. Yeah. I have said that of all of the stages of parenting, that baby stage is the worst to me because when they get older, they can say, I'm hungry, my belly hurts, some, you know, my leg hurts. That part where they can't tell you exactly what the problem is was so hard for me. That problem solving, like, oh, I hated that. Yeah. I love the baby snuggles and everything, but if they're not an easy baby, they're not a baby for me. <laughs> <'Cause> like, <laughs> whew, it's like an initiation. It is. <laughs> When they're <laughs> screaming and you don't know why they're screaming, oh, <laughs> I love you so much, but I, and I want to make you happy, but I don't know what it'll take. And then there's this whole stupid thing that they're like, if you're anxious, they can feel your anxiety. I'm like, 
well, fuck that shit. Like, stop. (laughs) You can't do that. Don't feel my anxiety because it's not right. I want to make you happy. If you would just be happy, my anxiety wouldn't be so bad. So then you wouldn't feel my anxiety. And how do they know that? Did the baby tell them? (laughs) We've just established that the babies can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, earlier when you said you always like to look at the father and clock what their reactions are like, that made me think of this scene when Crosby turns to his dad for advice about what's going on. I don't like it. Well, it's unconventional, but the lactation consultant said the babies respond to the natural nipple feel, you know? Maybe not even Have you tried all this stuff? Dad, I'm willing to try anything. We are so desperate at this point. The baby will not stop crying unless she's breastfeeding, and I don't know how much more Jasmine can take. She needs a break, and the baby will not take a bottle from me. Well, sometimes they don't want the dad, you know? That's just that simple. The whole thing is not what I thought it was going to be. I mean, I know Jabbar was five years old when I met him, and I can't really compare the two situations, but it it just felt a lot easier. There was, uh, you know, an instant connection with him the moment I saw him. Girls are are complicated, you know, they're different. I mean, boys are, are simpler. You know, a boy's got a problem, you take him to a ball game, you get him a hot dog or copacetic. they're good to go, and I mean, girls, are, you gotta walk around on eggshells with them. I don't know, one day you're the king of the castle, you know, they're just in love with you, you're their daddy, and then the next thing you know, they don't know who you are. It's like they're, they hate you. I didn't realize it was gonna be this hard. Yeah, it's difficult. But that's what, that's what makes it good. At the end, you know, I mean, it changes. Crosby sounds like you. It sounds like he just doesn't like the baby phase, but he never experienced the baby phase with his other child. He met him when he was five. And and perfect. Yeah, and he could connect (laughs) verbally and, and that this phase is new. But I'm curious your opinion, since you have a boy and a girl, I know. About what Zeke said. There was so much to say there. (laughs) Do you think boys are simpler than girls or no? Not at all. First of all, if I could meet my children when they were five years old, oh man, I would love them so much. (laughs) I don't know. When they were five, even before I had kids, I was like, if I could just have a child and they were just five instantly, I would love it because five-year-olds, they're like too soon to be like tame. They're like untamed children who will just say whatever the hell comes to their brain. But yet they're like old enough to tell you what they need and what they want and they can play with you. I've always thought that five is the ultimate age of children. (laughs) Like I love (laughs) five-year-olds so much. And so when he was talking about that, yeah, I met him when he was five. I was like, yeah, yeah. I would love it when they, if I could meet them when they were five too. Did Crosby ever think to thank Jasmine for no, I'm kidding. (laughs) Thanks for sparing me. Oh my gosh. Thank Thank you for sparing me the first five years, which, ah, (laughs) but anyway, 
that's that part about the five-year-old thing. I would, yeah, that would be great. But I don't feel the same way that a lot of people feel about the difference between girls and boys. I feel like it was easier to understand what was going on with Sage than it was with Wesley. He's been so much more of a challenge as far as mystery as to why are you acting the way that you're acting? I don't understand. He gets frustrated, but he doesn't have the words to say why he's frustrated. Girls can tell you like a C-SPAN ticker how they're feeling. Like, it's just like, (laughs) right now I'm feeling sad. 30 seconds later, right now I feel happy. You know, it's like girls have the words to express and she's been able to always tell me how she's feeling. And I I don't have to really read into it because I get an update. I I like good communication, obviously, because (laughs) I like use your words. Well, she definitely has a lot more words than he does. In fact, we've struggled to be able to have him to like, okay, you have to let him talk every now and then. (laughs) And he can, he can say, he has a lot of things to say, but he acts through behaviors that then I have to solve the equation as to why are you acting like this? And usually it's that he's hungry. (laughs) Well, I don't know if what Zeke said is reminiscent of what lots of people would think. I I didn't think so. I, I think Zeke has some very traditional ideas about boys and girls, you know, and, and I mean, Mm -hmm. and what you're saying, I don't know if that's because, Sage is a girl and Wesley's a boy. Like, I think some kids are talkative and some kids are quiet. And I wonder how much gender has to do with it. Well, have you read the book called The Female Brain? No. Well, there's a difference in the way that we're wired. And there is a stronger connection between females in our speech. We're like really good at the gabbing a lot easier than like males in being able, it's like something about emotion and speech are not connected. Like if the emotions are high, the speech, it's hard to speak your emotions. Whereas we can feel and talk at the same time. A lot of times, not always because nothing is ever 100%, you know, a lot of times males if they're feeling too much, they can't speak. Whereas a lot of times females speaking their emotions is just one fluid motion. I actually had to learn that with Brandon because he couldn't speak and feel at the same time. So if he was feeling angry, I had to wait for him to calm down and figure out what his words were and use the word. And I even find myself having to do that with Wesley, like, okay, let's take a few deep breaths. Let's bring our feelings down a little bit, and then we can talk about it. Whereas Sage can be bawling her eyes out and still telling me everything that she's feeling in the moment. I buy that, though. It sounds logical to me. I also (laughs) wonder if there's an element of you understand whichever sex you are. like. Zeke understands mm-hmm. how to talk to boys because he was a boy. Yeah. And uh-huh. Aaron, maybe you understand how to connect with Sage because she's like yes. a you. Well, and I was thinking of Sarah with Amber. I mean, it was much easier for her to understand what was going on in Amber's head than it was for her to understand Drew. And, mm-hmm. and Amber was much more talkative. Yes. But then I'm like, like 
Yeah, that's true. She is more talkative, but there are lots of quiet girls and outspoken boys, you know, so I, I think that's why I was like, how much is this connected to gender? I like what Caleb just said about, like, relating to what you were. Like, I mean, Amber is so much like Sarah in a way that Drew doesn't feel all that much. I mean, he's a good person like Sarah, but, you know, he doesn't have yeah. a very similar personality and, like, humor. And, yeah. So, anyway, oh my fascinating. Gosh. Yeah. And how he's always sought out Seth in a way that Amber did not. Right, because he needed that. I think maybe it was because Amber is like, well, my needs are being met. Totally. I've got this. Yeah. With the parent that I've got. And maybe Drew's weren't. Okay. I have to tell you that with this divorce, that is 100% true. Sage is rolling with it so well. I mean, yeah, she has her breakdowns and everything and her struggles, but she's also 10 and a half and starting to go through a very emotional period in her life. Yeah. And she's got some people that are being mean to her in school, but I get it. I get it. <laughs> like I've been there. I feel like when she's going through things, I'm just like, oh yeah, I've totally been there. But Wesley, I feel like from my end, at least, I don't know what Brandon's experiencing. He is struggling a lot more in the going back and forth thing. And whenever he comes to my house, he has to cry for a little bit in that transition. Cause yeah. he's like, I just miss daddy so much and blah, blah, blah. And one of the greatest things that we are doing, Brandon and I might not have gotten along <laughs> as a couple, but we both are dedicated to the best interest of our kids. And we are trying our best to do what's in the best interest of them. That's one of the things that we have been able to I, I have to pride both of us on keeping that focus there on the kids, mm -hmm. regardless of what's going on with us. Yeah. Where was I going with that? He seems to, I think he does get Wesley on a level that I don't quite understand because Wesley does cry when he comes to my house. He has to have a little bit of a transition period, whereas Sage just marches in like, hey, mommy, and then we're off to having fun. Whereas Sage or Wesley needs some time to kind of cope with how hard it is and everything. And I don't know if that's how it is on the other side, but I think that having his dad in his life is more important, is very important to Wesley. I think it's really big of you to even allow that your ex-husband might understand a child in a way that you don't. Because mm. I, I just want to flag that because I'm going to bring that up in a later storyline. Okay. <laughs> that I don't think parents should be competing with each other on certain things as Ooh, they pertain to their And kids. it would be easy to do. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of desire to compete because Wesley cried when he was coming to my house on Thursday. And then I noted when I, he let, he marched out my door just fine today when he wasn't going to see me for the rest of the week, he just mm. marched right out. Like, that's hard. all right. Talk to you later, mom. And I'm like, that's hard. Why? Yeah. And I had to talk myself through like, okay, this doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Yeah. You were still his mom. You know, yeah. it, it's hard. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to comment on in this storyline is that I loved that they had a real baby mm. and a really tiny baby Yeah. Oh. because it was so effective in those few moments, especially that one shot at the end 
of that little baby just staring up at Dax Shepard and she wasn't yeah. crying. And it's just so small. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, it was so powerful to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, completely. It mm-hmm. was it was beautiful. I loved it too. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to my least favorite storyline in this episode, which was Drew's debacle with his roommate. (laughs) Whatever. Okay. The first note I took was, (laughs) I cannot believe that when Drew walked in on his sister having sex or even about to have sex, that he didn't immediately leave. If I walked in (laughs) on one of my sisters, even heading down that path, I wouldn't just turn around. (laughs) <laughs> I would leave the room and I would probably leave the building. Be like, oh, I came here <laughs> to get away <laughs> from my roommate having sex, but I walked in on my sibling having sex. Not a good time. Yeah. <laughs> Bad night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Did she not lock her door? I know she never not locks her door and it's like a whole thing, but did she also not lock her door when she was about to have sex? Because that feels like a real mistake. Well, clearly not. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have a key or something. Okay. All right. Yeah, I guess that's it. That just. Oh, he might though. I, I, I mean, just, if anyone were going to. Yeah. I would just really rather it be that because that I didn't even think about it until we started breaking it down. And I'm like, how, how, how yeah, that just, that's that because now I'm thinking not of Drew, but of Amber and how horrified I'd be if someone, you know, my brother, or anybody walked in on me about to do that. No, thank you. And everyone was just very calm. I felt like for (laughs) everyone got over that very fast. And maybe they're all just super like, you know, Zen people. They're very evolved. But I was like, how is this happening? I yeah. But I actually found the storyline. You know, it occurs to me now Drew walked in his mom having sex. So there's, yeah. I guess Seth is the only member of his immediate family that, <laughs> as far as we know, he hasn't walked you know, it's, in it's on. It's just a rite of practice, you know, a passage for you him know, while yeah. copulating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, remember how traumatized he was about here? It, it wasn't even walking in on his mom and Mark. It yeah. was just hearing them, and he couldn't speak for like the entire episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> but maybe that taught him. It prepared him for this moment, and that's why he's the elevated young man we see today i don't know oh also i think that was before he'd had sex himself and so now he's seen it all now he, he's he knows club. he's yeah he's got it it's fine <laughs> um but you didn't like this storyline i found it delightful what, what did you think of it aaron okay i found it so incredibly awesome that amber stopped and jumped to her brother's defense and was on his side and was like screw you buddy I know you wanted to get some but you know what this is my brother and he's going (laughs) through something and my brother is my brother and I know we're a thing but this is my brother and he I mean what's his name what's the boyfriend's name Ryan it is her fiance if that if that affects yeah, it, you know fiance, whatever yeah <laughs> fiance, it doesn't matter if you're in a relationship with someone their family is important to them yeah. and I found it so heartwarming that she was like because she has this kind of motherly instinct for yeah for Drew I love that that I it was kind of like yeah yeah you wanted to get laid you can get laid another time but this <laughs> this is my brother going through something and I'm going to be there for him in this moment 
regardless of how many blue balls you have at this moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and then they go on to like help him. Yeah. You know, and I don't know what went off on off camera. I know it's a story, but you know, like <laughs> in between the two scenes yeah. where it's like, maybe she talked to Ryan and was like, you know what? I feel like we really need to do something to help Drew. And I'm not exactly sure what to do. And he's like, oh, I know what we should do. We should go <laughs> in and tell the roommate what's what so that he doesn't fuck with Drew anymore. And so, <laughs> and Amber's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's talk to him. We'll and pretend so then, like we're coming up with this plan right in front of him and that we didn't have this talk. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. And so, yeah. So I, I loved that they stepped up and were there for him, even though, yes, they had some intimate moments that were interrupted, but Caleb, did that help? Go. Did that help at all? No, no. No, because I didn't have a problem <laughs> with the way Amber and Ryan treated Drew. That yeah. I loved, and I like their impulse to stick up for him. Yes. What rung false to me was their confrontation with the roommate. And I suppose it's entertaining and it's satisfying in the moment, but it feels like such a TV thing. Because I think, okay. What is Drew's very next interaction with his roommate? <laughs> That's a good Mike? point. <laughs> I have that now Drew, too. Drew is the psycho in the dorm who brought his sister and her soldier boyfriend down to the dorm, broke in, you know, busted down the locked door, and threatened a total stranger. It's insane. And I I firmly believe it would make things worse for Drew. But it doesn't. And I think Drew is smart enough to think a few steps ahead and realize this is a terrible move. Doesn't he try to talk them out of it? It just ran really false to me. I was like, this is for the benefit of people watching. It's not actually a way to solve this problem. Oh, you know what's funny? I loved it so much. I didn't care. Um, I was like, this is delightful. I really enjoyed, in particular, Amber, like, taking the sheet from Birdo's girlfriend. The the whole sheet thing was very funny. Yeah, she was like, this can't. I'm sorry. No. Like, just the way she did that. And then um, Ryan being like, I have a name, too. Sergeant York. I enjoyed that. You're right. In the harsh light of day, it is insane. You are right about that. But I do think it's funny that like they sort of met Birdo where he was because I think Birdo was acting insane. He was just pretending like he wasn't hearing Drew's very legit, you know, concerns. And he was just gaslighting Drew. And he was like, well, you know, I'm actually doing you a favor. <laughs> Next time I kick you out, just go sleep with someone. You're welcome. And I mean, but that's not, I guess, insane in a like visible way, the way that what they did was. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that they like that you can't reason with a guy like that. Drew tried that. It didn't work. What else is he supposed to do? I'm genuinely asking what what else could he have done? Because I really I can't, I can't think of anything. He was like, Birdo, you can't kick me Just out. Don't I- leave. Just don't leave the room ever. If you want the room to yourself. No, not never. But like when Birdo comes in and says, get out, I'm going to hook up with this girl. Make See, me. I'm getting the impression that he comes home, the door is locked, the lacrosse stick is like locking it, he can't get in. Oh, that's a problem. Go talk to the <laughs> RA. I mean, there's a yeah. system to resolve I guess that's conflicts true. Yeah. between 
I don't know. No, but that, yeah. To me, the solution is not break down the door and have a stranger scream at your roommate. I don't know. It seems effective. I have to admit that go, I was talk, willing bro. to dismiss all of those thoughts that went through my head. Like, I remember even thinking, what? How was he going to talk to his roommate directly after this incident? Like, hey, cookies? Or like, what? Like, I had that thought race through my head, but then I just was like, Eh, that was entertaining. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, did, I did think it was entertaining. Yeah. I just thought it was false. You know what? That's fair. Yeah, I do get false. that. But I do think it was interesting that Birdo really did, after that, treat Drew with respect we had not seen before. And perhaps that is also false. Like, that is just not how a person would have reacted. He would have, like, avoided him. But I, I get... I feel like Birdo has crazy eyes. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's something <laughs> to him where I feel like he respected that. Maybe I'm. Maybe that makes no sense. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I want to mention that Birdo is played by an actor named Nicholas Krauss, and Peter Krauss has a son, but it is not that actor. I went down. The <laughs> oh, son's name like, is not Nicholas. I went down that total rabbit hole. I, I saw that and I was like, oh my God, how fun is that? I didn't know that. And then I, yeah. And I was like, oh. And I'm really glad, no offense to the actor playing Birdo. He played the role, I think exactly as it should have been. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad that that's not Peter Krause's son. <laughs> you know, yeah. I actually remember thinking that that guy was pretty funny. Uh, not necessarily in this episode, but my memory is that he would say these insane things and I was like, I think I'm supposed to hate him, but I find him like, <laughs> I don't know, very believable as a college freshman and very funny. Um, so I'll be curious to see, I guess, what sort of impression he leaves this time around. Because so far, not great, but I did think he was yeah. funny. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah, like, the character, yeah. not the actor. Yeah, I think the actor is the funny. The actor's doing a good job. Yeah, the actor is good. The character sucks. Much like <laughs> lots of people. Yeah. Hank. Hank, yeah, you're reading my mind. Well. Speaking of cast members with family in the episode. Nice. I know where you're going. This episode sees the return of Kelly Wolf as the teacher whose name I cannot decipher. <laughs> Makindo? It sounds like Makindo. On IMDb, they credit her as Miss McKindle. But I'm like, that is not what those characters no, are saying. That is and not what Hulu subtitles. What subtitles. No. Yeah. No. So I think it's Miss Makindo. Makindo. But reminder to everyone, that teacher is actually Max Burkholder's mother, who plays the character of Max. Huh. And here's what Miss McKindo has to say about Joel and Julia's son. Victor's reading skills aren't anywhere near where they should be. Right. Yeah. I know he's a little bit behind, but he has, I mean, made leaps and bounds since he's lived with us. I understand there's special circumstances and that's why I wanted to speak with you both first before I make any sort of a recommendation. Okay, what's happening here? Recommendation for what? From what I've seen, Victor might benefit from repeating the fourth grade. You wanna, you wanna hold him back? No, I don't wanna do anything here now except open up a dialogue. Generally speaking, we don't like to move children into a different classroom unless it's a last resort. Maybe read with them every night, but maybe we could read, do a little more reading. I don't know. Um, Julia's got some time off from work. Maybe you could. That would be wonderful. I mean, I was going to suggest a tutor, but that's even better. I can give you some extra reading assignments and exercises. Victor is really a very, very sweet boy. Mm -hmm. 
I'd like to see a little more effort, but I think that'll come as he gains more confidence. So what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't improve? Let's just take a breath, put a strategy in place, we'll see if it works, and um, then we'll worry about making any decisions. Mm -hmm. So this scene and this storyline intrigued me about a trend I've noticed, but I've never called out Ooh. about Julia before. Okay. Is she a pessimist or does she have like a defeatist attitude or does she just like knowing all of the possible outcomes of a situation as far in advance as possible? It seems like she latches right on to what if none of this works? Mm -hmm. And I feel like she has done that before. Yeah. I mean, she did it with Victor with the adoption. Yes, she did. At a certain point, she was just like, I'm convinced this is not going well. And we need to talk about that. And I won't hear any kind of bright side mm -hmm. to the situation until we address my doom and gloom. Do you notice that? And, and if you do, what does that say about her? And what kind of people are you? Are, are you a good <laughs> news first kind of person or a bad news first? All right. So first of all, I had not noticed that about her, but I immediately recognized it as true once you said it. That's a really great observation. I think you're totally right that she does that. And I think, I don't know that I think it's pessimism, although it might be like a certain brand of it. Like, I think that... She's very anxious, which is one of the only things I can relate to Julia about. Um, so I'm super anxious as well. And I think I am a bad news first person because I, I want to be prepared. And so I think that maybe Julia just wants to be prepared. But I think, you know, didn't Joel call it something? It, it was the same way that like Christina could catastrophizes but she was going nuclear you know I thought that's an interesting yeah. parallel like that maybe these characters you know who have so much to carry all the time they do sort of go to the worst case scenario because maybe they're just too tired to like entertain any you know possibility that this could all work <laughs> out so those, those are my thoughts to that question I'll let Aaron answer that one and then I have like thoughts on a totally different Okay. All I noticed in that whole scene was the whole body language, mm. the fact that the teacher was hanging over them and telling them that their child might need to repeat a grade. And yeah. I just remember thinking, this doesn't seem like the best way to like introduce this information to a set of parents. Like, I feel like in the past, if teachers were going to tell me something, they would sit down with me rather than stand up while I'm sitting down. Like she's their teacher. Looming over you. Yeah. 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 So that's what I really noted. That's a great observation. Not so much their response, but more like, why aren't you sitting down right now? <laughs> Can you have a seat while we're talking about this? Like you're not really opening dialogue when you're standing and talking down to me. That's what I noticed. Well, you said lots of things that lead perfectly into what I was thinking. Um, all right. So it turns out Mrs. McKindo, even though this is only the second time I think we've ever met her, she also falls into the category where I think this actress is doing a lovely job. I think she's a terrible teacher. <laughs> <laughs> we've seen her twice and the first time she was just like you know teaching by like calling out questions to the students and max was like answering all of them and she was like this is max's fault and i'm like it's your fault because this is a boring way to lead a class <laughs> like you're not having a conversation you're just like flashcard quizzing them and of course max knows the answer uh but then in this case i was like 
you're confusing to me because you led with, I think Victor might need to be held back. But then you say, usually this is a last resort. And I'm like, so is this a last resort? Why are you even mentioning it? Why not start with Victor is having trouble with reading. Let's get him some extra help. And then I started wondering all kinds of things. Is he on an IEP? Do they not have SPED teachers at this school? Why are we talking about Julia doing this like it's her job? I mean, obviously kids are better off when parents read with them, but like also there should be reading specialists at that school helping him get caught up. And I started asking my, my Mark, you know, a bunch of questions. Cause that's literally his job is working with kids, um, to help them be better readers. And I also started looking things up. And from what I see, usually it isn't a great plan to hold kids back because, you know, especially if they're really tall, like Victor is, it, it like can be very damaging to self-esteem. And also if he's just going to have the exact same teacher and a very similar experience, the studies show that that doesn't really do all that much, you know, so the supplemental stuff would, would really help. So anyway, sorry, I just went off on a tangent, but I, I really worry. I love your tangent. Oh, thank because you. Because I wanted to know your perspective as a teacher, because I was like, no, yeah. I don't agree with how you're presenting this information to these parents. Yeah. I just thought if, you know, you're saying last resort, but then it doesn't, I mean, I think that's maybe why Julia. Well, you brought it up first. You brought it up first. It was <laughs> yeah, like literally the first thing out of your mouth. It's just poorly communicated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I Which just, yeah, go ahead. Many characters then bring up later, you know, I, I think it's understandable that they're so confused about what they should be doing. Yeah. Because the way it was presented to them was very, I mean, Ed mentions it later. <laughs> like, oh, Ed. I hate when they say we're, we're having a conversation. What does that mean? What are we doing? And I'm all for conversations, but yeah, the way it was brought up here was like, well, are we having a conversation about having him repeat fourth grade or are we having a conversation about him struggling with his reading? And are those separate conversations or do they have to be the same or what, what's going on? Why are you telling us? Why are we going there already? Yeah. Like, did I miss something? I automatically thought, Oh, I must have missed a conversation in a past episode that I don't remember where they already talked about his reading or because this doesn't seem like something that you would just lead with. No. I don't know. I do think, Caleb, what you said earlier, that is fascinating. I think it makes total sense given how sort of confusingly worded that presentation of information was that an optimist would hear, let's work harder. And a pessimist would hear, he needs to repeat a grade. And so now I'm wondering to what degree this is even Julia and Joel's fault with like not communicating with each other. I wonder if they just started off on a bad note there. Anyway, that's, that's a thought. Although another trend I want to call out and I, I brought it up earlier about parents competing. Yeah. I feel like I've noticed this with Julia and Joel before. Yeah. They sometimes aren't on the same page parenting wise. And then Mm -hmm. it feels to me like they're in competition to be right. And what really bugged me in this episode was when Julia was asking Victor questions Mm -hmm. about his reading comprehension and Joel shut it down. He swooped in, go brush your teeth. Yeah. I didn't like that either. Later on, he said he called what Julia was doing needling. I didn't feel like she was needling. I thought she was actually being pretty shrewd in seeing, you know, what can he tell me? Who's the main character of the book you're reading? 
BT dubs, Victor is reading <laughs> Island of the Blue Dolphins, which is a 1960 novel by Scott O'Dell. I don't think I ever read that I book, didn't. but I know I read and enjoyed another Scott O'Dell book called Streams to River, River to the Sea, which was about Sacagawea. Look at that. Very nice. But anyway, <laughs> I thought it was smart of her to see like, okay, he read this last night with Joel. Can he tell me anything about what he read? I agree. Is it as bad as what we're being told? And I didn't think she was putting him in a situation where he'd feel embarrassed or ashamed. It was just assessing. And I felt like Joel cut it off. And to me, it seemed like he did it because if it turns out that Victor does have a significant issue, then Julia is right and she wins the argument. And I thought, does he just want to have a job and work but not relinquish that like designation as the better parent. Mm. Like I think I felt like he wanted to be like, I know just as much about what's going on at home as you do, even when I'm not here. And I was like, but maybe you don't. Maybe whoever is at home sees more about what's going on at home. I feel like Julia brings that up in their fight later on. As a parent that probably kind of has to have it spelled out for me a little bit. I have had teachers be like ask your kids like what is this book about what are the characters doing what happens first what happens next and then what you know putting it in order you know asking them comprehension questions I mean that is what I have found is more important to okay so the reading tests in elementary school are timed and both of my kids have had problems with the timed reading tests, but then they do fantastic when it comes to comprehension, like what it was about and all of that stuff. And I guess I've been frustrated. It's like, okay, they can't read very fast, but at least they get what they're reading. And so on the other end, here you have Victor, who is not comprehending. <laughs> I feel like that's more of a problem. And I feel like Julia's in the right to question that and think, okay, even if you're reading a book with a kid, you still would expect them to understand what's going on in the book. Yeah. You don't want to just rush through a book and, okay, we read that book. I felt like Julia and Joel both made a lot of mistakes in this episode. I know that I was just saying that they were fine and it was the teacher's fault, but that was kind of, I mean, I think that was like an exaggerated joke, you know, but like, cause I wonder if the misunderstanding initially was something else, but I do think, okay, once they get home, I think they both make significant mistakes. I hadn't really thought about Joel doing what you'd said, Caleb, but yeah, you're right. I, I don't like how he shut that down. I, didn't like it when I watched it, but I don't think I understood why he was doing it. I think it was more... And I could be wrong, but that was how I interpreted it. Yeah. I wondered if it was more like... I don't know. I, You know, I'll have to like sit with that, actually. I'm not, I'm not sure what I thought he was doing there. But, okay, so I think Joel's biggest mistake, because when I talked to Mark about what helps kids become better readers, he said, it's sustained time, them reading, like, out loud, so you understand what they're getting. And like, honestly, during the pandemic, Mark was able to do a lot of like one-on-one and some kids really saw a lot of gains, even a relatively short amount of time. If it's every day, like 15 minutes, you know, this is why I was wondering about like, is there some sped teacher who can do this with Victor? So I thought what Joel was really wrong about was just reading to him 
and thinking that that solved their reading issues. You know, like that's that's not going to do it. But I thought Julia did some things wrong as well. I thought it was wrong of her to talk to Ed about it. We'll definitely talk about that here in a moment. But I also thought it was wrong of her when they do have their conversation, she and Joel at the end. She basically says to Joel, well, what we're going to do is go to the teacher and tell him he's repeating fourth grade. We have to do it quickly. And and I thought that is what she has done this entire series with Joel is just make the decision. And so I think the thing I thought Joel was right about in this one was finally, for whatever reason, this is the time he's like, I'm not doing it anymore. You know, the whole show, she's like, I want a second kid. And he's like, we have to have a conversation. <laughs> but they don't and they just have a second kid. You know what I like the whole series is her steamrolling him, I feel like. And so it's weird because Caleb and and Aaron you both were like she was right to question Victor about his comprehension and you are right. I think she was absolutely right, but it's still it frustrated me so much that she got the idea in her head what was right and was just going to like I didn't like that. And and so I thought, boy, why do these two keep having these issues? Is it a competition? Is that it? You know, and and when Joel said, don't mm. do that, I never did that when you worked. I thought, yeah, that's fair. But then I thought, boy, they just keep track, don't they? Both of them. It's like a tally mark <laughs> in a book or something of like, you know, it's, I know that like marriage and relationships are supposed to be compromised, but it's not always 100% like 50-50, right? It's like sort of give and take. And sometimes you have to let certain things go. And so anyway, those are my mm-hmm. thoughts. I also want to just add on the Julia, is she a pessimist? Is she anxious? Does she just like to be prepared? I also wonder if part of it is a status thing, if status is very important to her or the image that she projects being successful. Yeah. And if she has a kid who's failing fifth grade, is it sort of like, let me manage this crisis my way as soon as I possibly can so that I can be like spinning it mm-hmm. to the world? I could see I that. I that's what's happening. But it is something that crossed my mind. Wow. But Melissa, you're making me want to dive into their fight at the end. Okay. And then we'll go back and tackle the, the whole The Ed whole Ed issue. thing. You want to hold him back? Yeah. Now, without even trying? We've been trying. I tutored him every day this whole summer while you were at work. What's that supposed to mean? It doesn't mean anything. It means that I know where he's at on this. I know what I'm seeing. So do I. Not the way that I do. Don't pull rank with me. I'm not I never did that rank. with you when you were working. It's not fair. I'm sure you saw plenty that I didn't see while I was working, and you made decisions without okay. even consulting me. Yeah, PB and J or tuna fish, ballet or karate, nothing like this. Nothing like this ever came up. Well, this has come up now, and I think we need to hold him back. And I disagree. I see a kid who's trying, who's making huge strides. If we pull him back now, his, I mean, it will just absolutely shred his self-confidence. What's going to shred his self-confidence is keeping him in a class where he can't keep up. There are studies on this. Ed was telling me that he read a study about... Who the hell is Ed? Ed is a parent from the Sustainability Committee. Ed Brooks. Yeah. You talked to Ed Brooks about this? Fantastic. Well, we might as well go just talk to Victor now and tell him because the whole school's going to know about this in the morning. He's not going to tell anyone. Oh, Ed won't. No, but his wife probably will. She happens to be the biggest blabbermouth in the PTA. Listen, relax. She's not even around the school anymore. Ed hardly sees her. She's not going to. What what else are you and Ed talking about? 
he just caught me in a bad moment. I was upset, and so I kind of... Yeah. Anyway, let's stay on topic here. Yeah, let's stay on topic. What about what happened at breakfast this morning? What about this morning at breakfast? Are you laying into our son about the, the stupid book, Julia? You needle him like that, he's gonna know that, that something is up. Something is up. This is ridiculous. Are you ending this conversation that we've waited all day to well, have? What else is there to say? There... <sighs> we need to set up a meeting with his teacher and with the principal, and we need to discuss getting him back into fourth grade as soon as possible. That's what there is to discuss. No. No. We're not doing that. We made a plan with his teacher that we were gonna find him tutoring, we were gonna take a month, and then we would reevaluate. And that's what we're gonna do. You don't like it? Talk to Ed. Now, it's so funny, Melissa. I, when I first watched that scene, I was so taken aback in a negative way by Joel's behavior at the end. I thought, yeah. who the fuck are you? Just being like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing what you want. And it still kind of rubs me the wrong way hearing it now. But you raise a good point that he never does that. Never. And that I I suppose in their <laughs> extremely vague conversation with the teacher, they did leave with a strategy. And Julia is now saying, I want to forget the strategy. And Joel is saying, no, I want to carry that strategy out. And then we can revisit so I think you're right. Thank you. That's all I want. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that there's an issue, and it kind of bothered me in this fight, that Joel seems to think the way to handle the issue is minimize it. Let's not let Victor know that anything is up. Let's not make him feel like the focus of something. And let's see if we can work it out. And I think Julia's thing is let's tackle it head on. Let's maybe maximize it. I don't think that's what she's advocating. But she's <laughs> right. certainly she's certainly not saying let's minimize it. And I will I say, is. I think that is where Joel is wrong. I, I think that she is ultimately even more in the wrong, in my opinion, because she she thinks the way to resolve this conversation is to go have a meeting and do the thing that she has decided. And I think that's bullshit. But I do think that. Joel maybe in this moment is pushing her towards that even more by not really listening to her concerns. And I think he did that last season when she was expressing concerns about adopting Victor yeah. too. Like ultimately I thought Julia was wrong there as well, but I'm like, okay, you've got to be able to express your thoughts and he's got to meet you there. And so I think right now it's like they're both these two extremes and really the answer, you know, is somewhere in the middle as it usually is. So anyway. Aaron, you've had lots of face, facial expression. You're just pondering all this. What were your thoughts on all this? I am pondering all of it. There's a lot to think about, though. I started out thinking, started out watching Parenthood back in the day, thinking, wow, what an excellent, you know, relationship these two have and what great communication and blah, blah, blah. Then and you then, learned, no, they don't. <laughs> they can't and, talk to each yeah, other at all. And then I learned, no, they don't. And then I learned that not everyone has it as good as you think they have it. And so mm, yeah. a lot of this was like, oh, wow, this is real life here. <laughs> like, yeah. way to go, parenthood. <laughs> um, 
the thing that I related to the most was just what you were talking about, like having check boxes. Who's going to win this one? Like that is so, oh, so familiar. Wow. They do seem so dedicated into who is going to win this one and not so much in listening to the other person's point of view. And Julia does seem to be jumping to conclusions awfully fast. Yeah. I think the thing that I wonder too is with Joel, maybe I'm just such a fan of his because I, I've, you know, just all these years of seeing him be so unfailingly supportive to her and their family Mm-hmm. That even when I'm not really liking his behavior, I think I keep giving him the benefit of, of the doubt. But the thing that is really occurring to me is just, I think he just never questioned Julia when she was working. And he even says that, you know, and, and so when he said, don't pull rank with me, I never did that rank. with you when you were working. It's not fair. I'm, I think that's what's really frustrating him. And I actually think that's what I was trying to think of earlier. When Julia is questioning Victor about his comprehension I think what Joel interprets that as is Julia questioning him when she's like, did you read or did dad read? Dad read. I think that Joel is like, are you checking up on how I am parenting? I never Mm. did that with you. And I'm not saying that that's what Julia was doing because I actually don't. I think she was testing his comprehension. But I think that was Joel's go-to. I think that's what he interpreted that as, which is not a good sign. And I think that that's ultimately it. Like you worked and I trusted you were doing the best you could. I'm working and suddenly you're like, I'm home all the time. So I know the best decisions to make for our kids. And he's like, well, where was that when I was the one home? And so I think that's interesting. It's also, I think just Julia's personality, whether she's working or not, she is an alpha. She is a leader. Yeah, she is a problem she's right. solver. Yeah. And she's probably usually the smartest person in the room. Yeah. So I think the hard part for her is is probably that, well, point to when I was wrong. Yeah. Point to when I wasn't smart about something. <laughs> and you there, can't. And there probably aren't a lot of examples. Yeah. And yet she can't just be the one person in the marriage who's in charge right. and making all the decisions. When she was working, she could maybe pull rank in terms of like whose time is more valuable. That argument they had that one time. That was Well, that's just numbers. But that she wants to call the shots when she's at work and she wants to call the shots when she's at home because Julia is someone who likes to call the shots. That's the issue. And and I think Joel is usually happy to let her do that, but not all the time, of course. There are some issues where he's just not going to do that. She's not, yeah. Well, I guess I want to break down by what do we mean pull rank? Because I guess basically when I'm thinking, I know, I'm going to the Gilmore Girls, but when, <laughs> <laughs> when Lorelai's talking to Rory and she's like, I don't usually pull rank in like doing the mom card very often. And so I was like, pull rank. When I heard that, I was like, what rank are we pulling? Like, what are you talking about? Who has a rank in a marriage? I thought that this was a not supposed to not supposed to be a ranking kind of situation. So I thought that's a weird thing to say to somebody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, shall we delve into the ed topics? Uh, I think if there was any doubt as to whether or not Julia was beginning an emotional affair, that doubt is now gone. Victor's teacher is talking to us about holding him back. But you don't know that. I didn't say that. Please just 
Keep that to yourself. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sorry. I would not say anything at all. Mm. That's, that's rough. So that's where I was going. I mean, playing out the scenarios. Do I keep him in fifth grade? Do I put him back in fourth uh, grade? Do I homeschool him? I mean, I don't know. So it's not like definitely happened. No, she just wanted to open the conversation. So oh. we're still waiting to see. I don't know. I, mean, I hate it when schools say crap like that because it's either do it or don't do it. But every second that you, you keep waiting, the poor kid is getting more settled in the fifth grade. It's stupid. Wow, that is so not my place to say. No, no, you're absolutely right. Huh. Dick Cheney failed out of Yale twice. <laughs> not really sure where you put that on your pro-con list, hey, though. Exactly. <laughs> what makes you think I have a pro-con list? Oh, come on. Your former lawyer, Den Graf and Prostler, totally got a pro-con list. I totally got a pro-con yeah, list. Did. All right, yeah. pro-con this thing? Yes, OK. Let's go. Cons. Cons. This couldn't be less relevant, but here's my favorite Dick Cheney fact. <laughs> He doesn't have a pulse. He has a like artificial heart or some device that pumps blood for him. And it doesn't pump in the same rhythm that a human heart does. It just pumps continuously. Whoa. So if you like put your hand on his veins, there's no pulse. It's just dead flesh. <laughs> that's crazy. And for someone who gets compared to Darth Vader all the time, I just think that's so funny. <laughs> It's anyway. funny. Like, yeah, he should be dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Julia and Ed, you know, I, I of course think it's good that Julia has an outlet, mm -hmm. someone she can talk to about things that are on her mind. So why does this feel so inappropriate to me? Is it just because it's TV and I can see where it's going? Mm -hmm. No. Nope. Or even if it wasn't? Okay, Aaron, what do you think? I think that this is a bad combination. I don't know who's in the wrong, really, but they're establishing a connection that is going in a bad direction mm -hmm. that I have been involved in. And so, but I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I can tell you, that they need to explore their feelings for each other and maybe she needs to talk to Joel about it. No, that doesn't sound like the right answer. But <laughs> when I watched this, I was like, oh shit, I didn't see this before, but now I see the writing on the wall mm -hmm. as to they're making a connection and she's saying things just to make her... I don't know that he's saying things that he really means or he maybe thinks he means them, but really he's just trying to make her smile or make her feel better about mm -hmm. herself. And I, I was like, mm -mm, I don't like where this is going. Yeah. I think what bothers me the most about it is that he happens to agree with her. And I think he does because I, I think he does give his comment before he knows where she falls. So I don't think that Ed is like a master manipulator in that he like tried to anticipate what she thought and then tried to agree. But I do think it's troubling that because he happens to agree with her, she then takes that as like confirmation that she's right 
Joel is wrong. It's like she's siding with someone she barely knows over her partner. And those things get really tricky because a relationship is hard. You know, like if you've been together with someone for years and years and years, even if it's a really good relationship, it's, it's harder than with like someone all breezy and new and you've got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Like someone just like comes along and says the thing that makes you smile or feel good about yourself. I like how you put that, Erin. And then, you know, I don't, they have like this like easy sort of flirting that they're doing right now. And meanwhile, she's like fighting with her husband. And I think that gets very, very dangerous because it's like, you can't lose sight if you're in a good relationship that you want to be in, you can't lose sight of what that value is to you in favor of Mm -hmm. just, oh, this person is just making me feel good in the moment. And I know it's not like going down that dark of a path right now, but like you can kind of, yeah, it feels like that's what they're setting up. And yeah. Well, and having just talked about Julia, the way we have been to someone who likes to be in charge all the time. Yeah. Someone who agrees with you, that seems like a mark of good character. But in <laughs> fact, it's not. And sometimes you need to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Even if you ultimately end up being right, you know, you have to know why am I right? Why is this the right strategy? And so, yeah, the Ed just happens to agree with her on this. I thought the contrast between him and Joel is not exactly subtle. No. <laughs> I think parenthood is laying that on pretty thick like yeah well joel won't listen to her about this but ed Ed is in total agreement i'm like well that's a coincidence yeah (laughs) but i'm sure to julia it feels very significant and you know it's not vulnerable yeah and it's completely worth mentioning i think that she's married to someone who agrees with her like 95 percent of the time you want to have a second kid (laughs) sure not enough yeah (laughs) must be 100 (laughs) yeah and so i think that gets me too and you know nothing against well, you know, actually, maybe something against Ed. Um, I, I don't actually, th- I don't think Ed is more wrong than Julia, though. I think that they both are feeling an attraction, and I think that they are, like, leaning into it when they should be uh, not <laughs> leaning into it. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah. Like, when Aaron, when you said explore her feelings, um, it made me smile for a moment because I was like, wait, explore them? Like, go out with him? No. You mean process them right like like explore them mm-hmm. like why am i Absolutely. feeling this way don't no, do don't, not go out with him mm-hmm. <laughs> no but she, no stay away from him but i think she's go denying get some ice cream yeah talk to a girlfriend do not yeah. go out with him and i actually think you can be friends with someone of the opposite sex but i, I not if there's attraction i, I you know like if, if I either agree. yeah i you know Yeah. Well, and Aaron, earlier when you were saying that you felt lonely, even when married, I think if, you know, we know Julia feels a little bit adrift because she's not at work. And that is where she finds a lot of fulfillment for herself. So she's not getting that. And now she feels abandoned by Joel on this issue. Mm -hmm. He's Mm -hmm. not meeting her there. We also know Ed is going through marital problems. Horrible formula. And we also know he is not working and he has that same void in his own life. That is a huge Mm -mm. part of the like. I know. I'm like, oh, somebody stand back. This is somebody needs to be the voice of reason. She needs a girlfriend or a sister. I don't know, Sarah. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) says, no, (laughs) this is not what you should be doing. But nobody knows. She's keeping it a secret. 
I mean, um, it is interesting that she does mention him to Joel. Like, to me, I, I thought, I was true. like, I was like, is that because she is denying to herself that she's doing anything wrong? And may, I mean, I think it's maybe even debatable that she is at this point, you know, maybe, yeah, you know. Yeah. And so it, that's, that's interesting. Like her mentioning it, maybe that just means she thinks it's totally fine and normal. But yeah, the, that's how I took it. Yeah. So yeah, I think me too. Yeah. That so, she thought, I don't have anything to hide. It doesn't even occur to me. Right, right. <laughs> Maybe she should have. <laughs> or is yeah. she trying to mention something to Joel to let Joel know that, hey, there's somebody else who will listen to me too? I don't oh, know. Yeah, just yeah. corroboration. Yeah, I'm not alone in this opinion. Argumentum ad populum. Oh, and then what else you. are you and Ed talking about? <laughs> like giving him a certain amount of jealousy kind of thing? Like, hey, some other guy will listen to what I have to say. I don't know. Ugh. But I don't like it. But her, her even saying, well, they're having marital problems. I'm like, do you hear yourself? <laughs> like, do you yeah. know what I mean? I'm like, that's not helping. Um, and then I was like, how long is that talk? Because I'm like, we just got the first little part of it, I guess, because it cut off while they were still talking. So I'm like, enough for him to mention a study and mention that he's having marital problems. I'm like, where did this conversation go? Yeah, we. I mean, they were just about to start going through the pro-con list yeah. when the scene cut off. Yeah. I think it maybe went on a long time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so I... Pillow I, talk. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's a problem that, it, you know, I mean, it would be different, I think, if Julia were married to someone different. <laughs> you know, if she were married to someone unsupportive. If she were married to someone who had a history of not taking her seriously, you know, and, exactly. and wasn't pulling his weight. But since we have such evidence to the contrary... <laughs> I just feel like livid when I think about it. I'm like, so the first time you and your husband disagree, you're like confiding in someone. You know what? I, I'm just like, Julia, exactly. you were living in a like fantasy land of marriage. Like appreciate that, you know, and, and no knock exactly. against Ed. He, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So that's it. Yeah. I'm just rambling at this point. There's nothing more to say. You're completely correct. And that yeah. it is ridiculous that she's that this is even happening when they appear to have this. I'm telling you, they have a great relationship, like the kind that I was jealous of for years of my marriage. And I was like, no, you're not the type that should be going in this direction. No, no. No, but it does show no. you that any relationship is susceptible, it's you know, vulnerable. like, yeah, you have to protect these things. I think that's why I get very, you know, it's, it's like, and it's not, mm, it's not that Mike Pence way of protecting it where like <laughs> you don't interact with people of the opposite sex ever. It's not that it is recognizing if you feel attracted to another person and then adjusting your behavior. You know, I think we have this weird Puritan, or I don't know, we have this very weird way of looking at things. Like sometimes people get very romantic and they're like, oh, I love you so much. I could never even notice someone else. And I'm like, no, that's not what you say to a person. You have to acknowledge <laughs> that you're like a living, breathing person. You could be attracted to someone else. The, the, the real thing is I won't pursue it if I'm in the relationship I want to be in. If this mm-hmm. is healthy and good for me, if this is the choice I've made and I'm glad I've made it, you know, and yes. so I don't I don't fault Julia for even getting like a crush or something, but I think you have to respond accordingly then. Yes. Like, yes. Oh, 
I'm feeling a crush. Maybe I don't hang out with Ed. Maybe I don't confide in Ed about very private things. Yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to go talk to one of my other friends. I don't have uh, any. I'm a braver man. I don't have any friends. <laughs> that's the problem. I'm a braver man. That's why you need friends. Yeah, that's true. So, so you don't have emotional affairs. It's all they're good for. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's, that's, that's not, yeah. But anyway, so yeah. Well, I... Before we move on from this, I'm going to start my theme a little early. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay. So I noticed a theme in this episode of diametrically opposed viewpoints. Mm. People disagreeing. It didn't really apply to the first two storylines. Okay. Which is honestly why I led with those. (laughs) Get those out of the way. So Joel and Julia, she thinks they should hold them back. Joel doesn't. They're at loggerheads about that. And we saw how they dealt with it. I just want to plant that seed okay. so that in the other storylines. Now, this next one doesn't quite fall into it either, I don't think. But it's about Sarah wanting to take Christina's photo, which I feel like was right. sort of a Russian nesting doll inside of <laughs> another story, which was Adam and Christina's oh, yeah, conflict. Yeah. First of all, I just want to lead with a clip that I found hilarious. I just, I don't feel good about working, you know, with family. I don't think that's a good idea. Is that why you went into business with your brother, Crosby, and hired my daughter to work the front desk? All right, point taken. (laughs) I love that. That was so funny. It was. And the thing is, I was ahead of her on going into business with his brother, and I thought, oh, I know where this joke is going, but I forgot that they hired Amber. (laughs) And then the show got me there. That's when I really laughed. That was funny. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is Sarah's scene with Hank. You know, I've been passed over so many times on jobs. It's really no big deal. Yeah, but you get passed over because you have a weird personality. But <laughs> that was my biggest totally laugh. My true. family, and they're just not even taking me seriously. Why would they? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean. No, no. No, no, no. Don't sugarcoat it. Look, when I met you. You were a playwright, something, and then a, a graphic, you did stuff with... Graphic designer, yeah, I did you were a long that time too. ago, a long time ago. But you were flighty. They, they don't take you seriously because they know you. They know you. <laughs> so that's not an insult. I'm just saying strangers don't know you. No, I'm serious. I know. Working with family is, is hell. Strangers don't know who you are. You get a clean slate. Well, you know me. Do you take me seriously? Oh, no, okay. All okay, right. what? Let me answer. No, you pause. The pause I says pause it all. I pause on everything. No, no, that, not that kind. I got to I gotta form to the it. words. I got to go. This is exactly what I'm talking about. What? You get all flighty. I'm not it. getting flighty. I'm exiting. I'm leaving. He's got the male brain, so he can't feel and talk at the same time. Aaron already explained this. If only. Oh. <laughs> I, maybe that's it. Maybe it is. First of all. Where does Hank get the guts to drop these brutal truths on Sarah? Or does he just not think ahead to how hurtful they will be to her? And then secondly, like I kind of already gave away, I think he raises very good points. I don't think he's totally wrong. And I loved the show's awareness of who Sarah is. So like, yeah, remember when we had her be a playwright? That was remember weird. She was the graphic designer, and, and she's a bartender. And it's like, we don't know her at all. They, le- they left out the shoe inventor. Oh, God. Let's best <laughs> to leave that. Yeah. But yes, she does. I, I maybe disagree about the word flighty. I don't feel like that word is accurate. 
She's more like a Jill of all trades. <laughs> I like that. Also, I think flighty is one of those words kind of used to dismiss women. I don't even fault Hank for that. I fault like the writers. I, I think. The woman writer. The, the woman writer. You know what? That's a good point. I don't know who I fault. But I, Society. But I think you have a good, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I feel like it does have a gendered connotation. Yeah. I don't think we usually call men flighty. You know, they're like, you know, eccentric Wait. or something. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Thank you. Thank As you. someone who has been called flighty, I you're right. Yeah. What is a guy who can't focus on anything for any length of time? Distracted. Um, Distracted. You know, like idiot. <laughs> I don't know, maybe. That... Damn. Never um, mind. I'll settle. I'll, I'll take flighty then. If that's. <laughs> I don't know. Although I feel like women get called idiots too. But. That's what I was going to say. I think, well. But, but I think flighty does feel, it doesn't feel like a word used to describe men. Yeah. I'm not sure that the equivalent is like a compliment mm-hmm. to men, but they don't get Neutral, maybe flighty. neutral. Yeah. yeah. Like I think it might be eccentric. Like I think if Sarah were a dude, maybe. Kooky. kooky. Although women That's, get called kooky. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. But I, I also thought it was an interesting point that strangers can treat you more legitimately than family because they don't know you. I I think that's true. I think that's true. In certain contexts, especially in a context like this, something professional. Yeah. You know, it's, it made me think about my family, you know, they're not like professional theater goers or professional musicians, but they like those things and they're intelligent people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I could count on one hand (laughs) the number of times I've been involved with something that they thought was really good. Or that I felt like they thought was really good. Really? They always think they always think I'm good. They're always supportive of me. But it's like, you were so fantastic. That's kind of a weird show, isn't it? Huh. And then I'm like, ugh, hey, I <laughs> you know, I don't like them dumping on my stuff, but I think they think that they can engage in those kinds of conversations with me. Wow. Because we're so close. And in reality it really hurts my feelings oh but no that makes that makes perfect sense i i completely get that no but it rang true when hank said that and it's funny to me as someone who was very anti-hank last season i am liking him just so much more this season and i really you know you just take away that murky mark beginning and infidelity infidelity and and suddenly i'm on board but i will sexual harassment yeah take away all those gray areas yeah he's not her boss and she's not engaged that's what has changed fine with it yeah i like him when it's not those horrible conditions yeah there it is we we stumbled upon it wow yeah look at that they (laughs) fixed it very clear cut but with hank I liked him probably more in this episode than I ever have. And it's funny because part of me was like questioning that. Like, Melissa, he's sort of straight up insulting her right there. Shouldn't I be feeling defensive or, you know, like protective of Sarah? But I really didn't because, number one, I don't think he was trying to hurt her. That would be different if he said those things to be cruel. I think he said those things to be honest and... That's very different. And I think that it ultimately ended up with some really good advice. And I know that it all resolves with her going and taking Christina's photo. But I think his speech to her is what makes her think, why am I the right person for this? Oh, it is because we're family. And it is because I know her, actually. And so even though it's like she goes kind of against what he said, I think him saying that made her think, 
how can I use this to my advantage? I think it was kind of a productive conversation. Well, Sarah goes to talk to Christina. Yes. And I was very torn about this scene. Christina, I believe in you. And while I know that you haven't chosen me as your photographer yet, I also know that you haven't seen some of my most recent work. And I thought, maybe if you saw it, you'd change your mind. I would love to see your... Um, yeah, of now, course. Now, this is Waffles, but what I want you to see is just his eyes and the warmth and yeah. intelligence. He seems like a nice dog. In his eyes. This cat was cross-eyed, so it's that not cat. the best example. Again, it's just capturing personality. Sure. What I know I can do better than a stranger is capture mm -hmm. you. Sarah, listen. What's strong I love and beautiful how passionate and smart you are. about you, and I can get that. Thank you. I, I love how passionate you are, but I... I have to have, I just need a profession. I, I understand. I need someone that has done it so many times before. Or I do you to... need someone who knows you so well that they can bring out what's beautiful and strong and smart about you? I would argue I'm that person. I know I don't have a lot of experience, but... but this has to be my one shot. This I get one shot at this photo. I have to bring it to the printers by the end of the week. This is I... an important shot for me, too. <sighs> To tell you the truth, not a lot of people think I'm going to win. Well, I'm not one of those people. Thank you. Um... Okay. Okay? Okay. Why not? <laughs> you won't regret it. Okay, I want to hear why you're torn. Like Natalie and Bruglia. Um, <laughs> first of all, I thought Sarah did a very logical thing and tried to demonstrate her ability to Christina. If you don't have a lot of experience, that's fine. But you have to be willing to show that you're of a certain level of expertise. And I thought bringing your portfolio and showing that, great idea. And I think the case she made about I know you so well, that's going to be really advantageous to capturing your image. What rubbed me the wrong way was Sarah saying, this is an important shot for me too. Mm. That to me felt like she was equating how personally significant having some sign that her family believed in her was to Christina running for mayor. Yeah. And I think acting like that's the same thing was kind of self-centered. Mm -hmm. That being said, I thought juxtaposing Adam's attitude towards Christina's campaign with Sarah's attitude, even if Sarah's faith in Christina is opportunistic and self-serving, <laughs> I thought it was a smart move that made Christina's change of heart believable to me. Mm -hmm. And I also liked that after Sarah's scene with Hank, that she identified with no one taking Christina seriously. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, they really pulled this off well. I bought that at the end of that scene, Christina would say yes. It just bothered me that like, man, Christina's fighting these battles and, and Sarah's fighting exactly the same battles <laughs> with exactly the same stakes. <laughs> no. I also, a tiny detail I loved, that Sarah twice said that Christina needed someone to capture how smart, beautiful, and strong she was. Because I'm like, you clearly rehearsed this. <laughs> and I think she would have. And I loved that. Yeah. More than if we had seen a scene of her rehearsing it. Just show us that she repeats her main talking points, and we will understand that this was so nerve-wracking for her that she rehearsed it. Oh, I love that. I... Also was torn. Ultimately, I loved it. Ultimately, this made me 
I don't know, feel really good ultimately. Like, I mean, obviously it all works out. And so that's really great. And so knowing that it works out colors everything because what if she had taken a terrible photo then, oh my God, you know, like the whole thing would have, then I would have been really upset, I think, with Sarah for pushing and for Adam for setting the whole thing up in the first place to save money instead of doing the thing that really was going to support his wife. So I would have had a completely different take on all of it if it turned out that the photo sucked. <laughs> but since it worked out, I was like, oh, yay. And the only thing I didn't really like that Sarah did was she just kept not letting Christina finish her sentences, you know? Oh, she, God, she, that's a parenthood problem anyway. It is, but often <laughs> I feel like it's in the spirit of, like, sometimes even listening to Caleb and me back, I notice we're like, like kind of jumping on each other's thoughts, but it feels to me like we're just like, pa 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 pa, like we're talking, <laughs> you know? Like, I like it. Yeah. It feels like we're getting each other and we're not stomping mm-hmm. over each other's points and like, so that we can then, you know, monologue. It's like, we're just like, bup, 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 bup. But in this case, it felt like Christina was trying to articulate how she was feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I was just in that. I was like, Caleb, you should interrupt Melissa right now and be like, you're done. What you're describing is repartee or something. And but then I was like, I couldn't think of how to execute it. But then thinking about cutting you off made me laugh. And that actually Sorry. did cut me I'm off. A mess. Which is funny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, well, before Caleb cut me off, I was saying (laughs) no. Um, But like Christina just keeps trying to say that, you know, why this is important. Like, because at first I thought, why not let her take it? And if it sucks, just hire someone else. But then when she says, I need to get it to the printer by this Friday, I, I was like, oh, you should really listen to her. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, because here's the thing. I really hate it when people um, don't take no for an answer. And obviously we have like a culture where we're very concerned with consent as, as we should be. But I don't even mean it like in a big way like that. I mean, like if I politely say no to something, like even attending a party, please know it took a lot of courage for me to muster that up. I'm such a people pleaser. It's very hard for me to say no to things. So, you know, I could just see Christina being like, no. And Sarah being like, I won't take it for an answer. And I'm like, take it. It's, oh, that sucks. Like, don't do that to a person, you know? But then it was so precious. And also, I I know this might not be the point, but I legit thought her pet photos were amazing. I was like, those are not just dumb little animal photos that I take of my dogs. I was like, those are incredible. If you can make Christina look as good as those dogs. Waffles. (laughs) Waffle. I mean, she just caught his spirit and I'm serious. Those were amazing. So anyway, all my thoughts. One of the cats in the park is like, oh, he's got a really good belly. I was like, I'm dying. (laughs) Totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, let's zoom out to the larger story that I feel like encompassed this photo story. And again, let me lead with two random things that I thought was really funny. One was Christina. Wow. She's so amazing. I'm telling you what, if Bob knew that she existed, he never would have hired me. Honey, Ever. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) I just loved her enthusiastically saying Heather was better at her job than she was. (laughs) And then (laughs) here's the other thing I thought was funny. Does Adam talk to himself regularly. All right, keep good attitude, Adam. I'm gonna cut these costs. 
<laughs> he says that in a room by himself. I did not even notice that. Keep I'm a good so... attitude, Adam. Gonna cut these costs. What? And oh. yet, I talk to myself all the time, yeah. even by name. <laughs> so maybe it's yes. more. It's tapping into something. I want to admit. It's tapping into something. Maybe. I mean, the number of times I'm like, Caleb. Calm down. <laughs> I do it all the time. I've been uh, doing that a lot lately as I'm trying to, I'm like, way to go, Aaron. You did it. <laughs> You're yeah. like literally patting yourself on the back. I yes, love it. exactly. Self five. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, okay. Yeah. So here is the yeah. second. Yeah. Now, now I'm to substantive issues. Yes. Here is the second fundamental disagreement i would say you know my theme earlier yes i remember it's between adam and christina we need a professional we don't need a professional photographer it's going to cost a thousand dollars we've already spent five thousand dollars in this campaign and it's stressing me technically this isn't really our money we're going to get reimbursed we're going to it's our money i'm not suggesting that we stop spending money on your campaign i'm just saying slow down until we know that there's some donations coming in there are donations coming in okay i'll tell you what what can i just sit down with you just for a second I just want to show you a couple different ways we can trim the budget. You went through my budget? Why did I you? I did. Go... For what? We're spending our money on the campaign right Adam, now. Adam, I know that we're spending our money right now, but we're going to pay ourselves back. I just want to pull back a little bit until we know that we have the donations coming in to cover these expenses, okay? The donations are coming in, and we're okay. going to raise enough money to cover all of our expenses. Okay, just stop for one second, all right? No, you're just pissing for a little... me off. I'm sorry I'm making you mad. This is a reality check, okay? I guess okay? so it's you're a reality check. You're a first-time check. candidate. Am I really? I didn't know race. that. Oh, my God. I want to make sure that we're going to be able to come up with enough donations God. to cover these expenses. You don't think that I know that Bob Little wants to see me, like, crash and burn and that I'm a first-time political candidate and this is going to be a tough run for me? You don't think I know that, Adam? Okay. No, ahead. hold on a second. When you wanted to open up the luncheonette, I supported you 100%. It was 10 times crazier and 10 times more expensive than this. It's worked out, okay? By the way, at the time, you called me nuts. I did call you nuts, but I supported you. And I'm supporting you. I'm just trying to help out here. I've supported you. I just don't want to see us get into financial trouble here, Christina. That's all I'm doing. You're not trusting me is what you're doing. Thank you, budget boy. (laughs) Budget boy. Great. There he is talking to himself again. Budget boy. Great. (laughs) Wow. It's a theme. Yeah, well. One more thing we never noticed about Adam. If we like go back, it'll just be in the background of like every scene. He's just muttering to himself. It's like playing playing it back backwards or something. It's all the things can't Adam let, can't let Hattie have sex, Adam. Can't let, it happen. <laughs> can't let gotta nail her, nail her window shut. Gotta do it. Well, I thought it was a fascinating argument. Me too. I, I did not remember Adam's support. His half-hearted support mm-hmm. being such a big source of conflict, and using the budget as a symptom of that problem, I thought was a very great way to demonstrate yeah. that. Yeah, because like who couldn't see where Adam's coming from? They just started a new business. They just sent a kid to an Ivy League school. They just battled cancer. Mm-hmm. Their money is not inexhaustible. Yeah, it's a legitimate concern. Mm. And yet to Christina, I totally see why it would appear to just be one more sign that her husband doesn't have faith in her. And again, I really love seeing a different side of Christina. I feel yes. like she handled this argument in a way Christina never would have in any previous season. She's so direct. You're pissing me off. She's not crying. He tries to like change the subject and she like won't let yeah. him interrupt her. I just like that she sticks up for herself. But what's so funny 
I paused this scene to take a note on it right before Adam's last line. And then when I unpaused it, just hearing him say, budget boy, great, made me feel so awful for him. Mm. And it kind of recolored the whole scene. Mm. I thought, I get why Christine is mad, but isn't she sending him a message that his feelings about this just don't matter to her? Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Even though on the whole, I think I kind of more agreed with her. Oh, really? I, I Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I saw where he was coming from, but I don't know. I don't know. This, and this is why I love it. Cause yeah, it's a really good I think, conflict. No, I agree with him. Oh, wait. No, I agree with her. No, wait, I, I do not. Keep in mind, I haven't exactly followed up on all of it, but still, like, James and I were watching this, and he has not watched one episode of Parenthood ever. And he was like, dang, she must be, she's a real bitch, right? And I was like, no, she's not. She's really a great dynamic character. This isn't just how she is. But I totally was like, I can see where he can see money just running out the window and he's like uncontrollably and he's just handing it over, handing it over without really having any idea where it's going to be coming back to him. Like, why is he expected to just let this happen? But maybe I'm coloring that with my own, like, financial control that I'm trying to regain because I just, I I don't know. I just, am like, how can you just spend all this money without, and not expect your spouse to have a question as to why, why you're spending so much money? It doesn't matter yeah. what you're doing. Please don't just, like, frivolously pay a thousand dollars for a photographer and just say this is the way it's supposed to be done and all this money she maxed out a credit card yeah i mean that's yeah Yeah, like there's got to be somebody who puts the brakes on this and it doesn't mean he doesn't believe in her it means that he wants to be smarter about it and to have a budget about it instead of just we need this we need this we need this so I was like, okay, this doesn't, you're reading too far into this, Christina. It just means that he wants to make sure that the, I maybe I wasn't reading enough into it. I was like, he just wants to make sure that they're going to be okay financially. See, I think this episode on its own totally does that. And I think with the previous episode, it's interesting because in the last episode, I was angry with Adam. I really didn't feel like he was supporting her. And in this one, I think money is such a trigger for me. Mm. I really try to be very good with money, and we are. And my husband and I have separate checking accounts, which I think is a great idea. And I'm, I, the whole time, I'm like, you guys should just have separate bank accounts, and then Christina can spend all her money on this, and then, then, then they're fine. But that doesn't always work, of course. Well, yeah, you and your husband both work. Yeah. For so long, Christina hasn't. If they had separate accounts, do you think like Adam should give her an allowance? Ooh, that's interesting. That's, that is you're interesting. Right. It doesn't work. It only works if, yeah, you're right. It only works if both people work. And no one on this show does that. They have like stay at home parent. It's like a dreamland, I guess. That's a really good point. Let me just point out. Melissa was actually the first person to ever point out to me that finances are the number re- number one reason that people that cause divorce. Yeah. Like this is not a small, like it's not cheating on each other. That's the problem. Finances are huge. 
And I yeah. think it doesn't get enough attention into what what a huge role it plays in a marriage. Yeah. And you're right. If both spouses are working and they're getting relatively equivalent amounts, it does okay for both of them to have their own accounts and then both contribute. But if like one person's getting paid a lot and one person's not getting paid so much be- yeah. just because that's the choice in their career. Right. Uh, Good point. Like Julia and Joel. It creates an imbalance. Yeah. 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 You're totally so right. it's not, it's complicated. Yeah. Very complicated, especially when you have someone who likes fancy shit and someone who doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> or someone who thinks it's okay to drop 250 bucks for green juice, which I have no idea how that relates to a campaign at all. Did you guys <laughs> check that out? I was like, why are they bringing in juice? I was like, the pens I get. The campaign photo I get, what, what, with the juice that helps someone become mayor? I didn't understand. I just was very confused. Maybe Heather's not so great at her job. Look at that. Hot take. What do you know? (laughs) But I did totally think that it was, Caleb, you said it so well earlier when you said that's what made it a really good conflict because I think, yes, it makes absolute sense that Adam would be like freaking out about all the spending. I absolutely would be. And so even though I usually don't find myself agreeing with Adam in this episode, I did because of that. But then when you expand it and look at how he hasn't been very supportive of her running for mayor, then, yeah, it makes you wonder, well, is that tied in with? Yeah, I think, is this an issue in isolation or is it a symptom of a larger problem? Yes, and if it's a symptom of a larger problem, it's harder to forgive. Yes. But if you look at just this issue, it's like, yeah, who wouldn't be concerned about money? And once it's gone, you can't get it back. Like the ramifications of this are so like, even like even if you cheat, it's like, well, maybe we can find a way to forgive each other. If you're broke, you're broke. <laughs> like there's you don't just hatch that up. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. well, and you know, yes, you're so right because. Basically, if it is a symptom of a bigger problem, then it's not really that she's spending money. It's that she's spending money and isn't even going to win who would vote for her. Like, you know, and, and then, I mean, he even basically said that to Heather in the last episode. And so then it takes this very sinister, you know, vibe to it where it's not even worth it. You know, he, he, there's, they're wasting their money. They're not investing in her, which is how she sees it and how she wants it to be seen. And, you know, speaking of investing in people, this is such a small thing to comment on, but it actually really bothered me that they only paid Sarah $50. Like I, I get that the whole point was to save money and she was even like, I'll do it for free. And then was like a hundred, but I thought if you were going to spend a thousand and you love the photo, a hundred feels like the least you could give her without it being almost insulting. I don't know. Maybe that's terrible of me to say since she like strong armed her way. But I just thought, ugh, they're saving money and then there's like not investing in people. And I wonder which is which, like with both Adam giving Sarah so little money and also Adam, you know, being nervous about spending on Christina. And I actually don't know what the right answer is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, here's how they resolve. So- we saw how Joel and Julia resolved or didn't resolve their fundamental disagreement. Yeah. What do you think about how Adam and Christina did it? I don't know. I feel like lately I've just had this I defeated cancer attitude. I can do anything and conquer the world. Anything. And I feel like I feel like I got ahead of myself with this campaign, you know? 
-hmm. I feel like we need to, just to pull back a little, maybe talk to Heather about, you know, not spending as much, just until I can make some money fundraising and mm -hmm. just to see where we stand. Christina, you know, after giving that little speech, I don't have any choice but to reach in my wallet and hand over my credit card. Okay, you know? well that was not my intention. I'm not trying to get sympathy. I'm, I'm just... I know. And you know I have mixed feelings about the campaign. I know so. that you do. So, where does that leave us? Well, it leaves me with no choice. Take it. Just take it. I can't. Take it. I can't do it. Just take it. Take the other one. Oh, God. Take it. Just it's better than sex. take the whole thing. It's better than sex. <laughs> Thank you for believing in me. I love you. I love you. I really liked how that resolved. I mean, in a way, it could look like she just brought up cancer and guilted him, and then he gave her his credit cards. I mean, if you look at it that way, it doesn't look great. But I really... She pulled the cancer card. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could look at it that way. But and I didn't even play the bulk of her speech about cancer. About cancer. Bald Christina, <laughs> Let's she just says. cut right to the chase. Yeah. I have hair, and it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> all but right. I, I did really like that not only was she able to explain why this meant so much to her, because she actually, I think, tried to have almost the exact same conversation with him in the last episode, you know, where she said that she almost died and she she didn't and this is what she wants to do but it felt like this time for whatever reason it got through and he heard her and well i still think it's a little bit concerning to just be spending money like this she is right that they did that when he opened up the luncheonette and he didn't even run it by her he just agreed to do that with crosby you know and and so okay there's a precedent set and so she's kind Maybe of... Maybe if he'd sold it for two and a half million dollars... They wouldn't be in this This mess. campaign would have just taken care of itself. That's but. right. They were offered... Do you remember that, Aaron? They were offered 200... Wait, no. 2.5 million dollars. Is that what it was? I forget the... At least one million. But the offer is actually 2.5 million. Yeah. It was two and a half million dollars and they didn't do it. So, yeah. I think we can establish that it's not just Christina throwing money around and uh, not necessarily making all the choices that, you know. And True. wasn't it Adam who was supposed to tell Hattie, you can't go to Cornell, and then he totally broke and was like, you can go, <laughs> yeah. even though I think that's what Christina wanted to. Anyway, I just really liked that ultimately it felt like he heard her, and I actually kind of loved that he said, you know I have mixed feelings about this campaign, because that is direct, that is not acting like you're supportive while being passive aggressive and questioning and needling. Like, mm -hmm. you know what? If you do have concerns or mixed feelings, just say it. Give her the dignity of, of being honest because also if you're honest about it, it won't fester and become resentful. And then you know, it takes all the wind out of it. She's like, I know that, <laughs> you know? And so it's not like, yeah. yeah, some big secret that he's harboring or something. And so I really liked that too. I did too. I felt like it was very real and I felt like they were both trying to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. She had obviously thought about what he had said and she was considerate of his thoughts and his feelings on the situation and then molded over, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And I missed that first part of it. I watched the episode twice and then I listened to it as I took the clip. 
But it wasn't until playing just now that I I noticed that Christina kind of gave in to Adam's point of view before he gave in to hers. Yeah. You were right. She did clearly hear where he was coming from. Because everything she was saying, I'm going to talk to Heather, we're going to pull back. That's exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah. And the first times I watched it, all I saw was, I think they handled this well, but it's really just Adam giving in to her. But she clearly was willing to give in to him, too. And I thought, maybe, and now I'm thinking maybe that's why the resolution felt so good. Because it felt good to me all along. I just didn't know exactly why. Yeah. But it's like each one sort of conceded to the other. You know, if this is what you think is the best thing to do, I'll go along with it. And they Mm -hmm. both said that to each other. And then they kind of just had to decide, Mm -hmm. well, who are we going to go with? But it's like what you said, Melissa. It's that hearing you and seeing you yeah i hear where you're coming from i understand it and i respect your point of view yeah and if we both do that now we have to just pick a path and then i think they picked christina's path i'm like okay great but i want to real quick compare that to joel and julia where neither of them would concede to the other yeah and i feel like Mm -hmm. usually it's joel conceding to her and it really only works if you're both doing it and so i feel like this time neither of them would do it and i'm like no the real way to fix it and like there was like a brief moment where joel was basically trying to like in the beginning of the episode when it seemed like they were on the same page she was really stressed out and he was like, don't, don't go nuclear. And she was like, I'm not, I'm not. And then she was like, I'm, I guess I'm going, and they were like going nuclear and they both smiled and kind of laughed together. And it was, I think, cause she conceded a little bit there. And yeah. we look at that sometimes as being like weak or giving in or like not standing up for yourself. But sometimes the best thing you can do is give up a little bit of that power. And then the other person might do it too. And then you're not in this like horrible, like just standoff standoff yeah yeah i kept thinking of the lyrics to that old song when an irresistible force meets an immovable object something's got to give yeah that to me i was like this is the theme of this episode yeah and in adam and christina's case they both gave yeah and i feel like it ultimately ended up benefiting her more but that's okay because they both gave yeah it's kind of that's what you started leading off aaron this whole thing that you're both givers. Yeah. I was thinking that when you were talking, I was like, this is coming full circle. Is that, <laughs> yeah, it's like, totally. We have had, I feel like I just had this discussion about how different yeah. it is when both people are giving to the relationship rather than somebody bending over backwards for the other one and the other one just taking everything they're willing to give. And Joel's the bender. Joel is the Julie bender. Yeah. Julia's the taker. And you know, yes. You know why? Like, because we're, if we're going to transition into the very last little storyline. Yeah. You see where we're going. I do. Because you said I hear you Not and born I see yesterday. you. No. <laughs> but it's because she's the braver men. It's because, like, <sighs> It's the braver men do not bend, all their spouses do. So let's let's think about that as we talk about Zeke and Camille. <laughs> you can't keep doing this. No, just a few more minutes. You can't keep avoiding this. Well, Millie, I tell you what, now, if I stop now, I'm going to have parts all over the place, and it's going to be one hell of a big mess. Okay, fine. We'll, we'll talk while you work. Okay, clue me in here. Exactly what are we supposed to be talking about? Uh, 
You know what we're supposed to be talking about. I tried to have a discussion with you about the possibility of selling the house, and you walked away from me. Okay. All right. So what is there to talk about? Why don't we start with your feelings? I mean, what do you feel? How, you know, what are you thinking? I don't want to sell the house. End of discussion. So why bother to have a conversation? Okay, you may or may not want to sell the house. And in the end, maybe I won't want to sell the house either, but we're going to have a discussion about it. I deserve that much. Yeah, you do. I love her. Yeah, you do, Camille. And she's the bender because she married a braver man. <laughs> because the braver men are the one. I, I tell you, yes. All right. And even Blanche. Blanche is not a bender. I feel like we could tell that from that one episode, Zeke's mom. Yeah, she's not one either. So The Bravermans don't bend. They don't. I do want to say I actually completely understand Zeke's feelings. Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't share them. No. But like, if the subject up for discussion is something you know that you don't want, and you don't want it so much that the possibility of it feels like it threatens you then opening up a conversation about it feels like it can't possibly lead anywhere except you not getting what you want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But something's got to give, you know? Camille disagrees. And that's why she's right when she says she deserves to have a conversation about it. Yeah. It can't Mm -hmm. just be all taken and no given. That's right. That's what Zeke does. To quote another song. That's what Zeke does. He's just going to let his wife cook Thanksgiving dinner and he's going to drink a beer in the garage. I'm just saying. And so I think. And then I'm going to carve it. Yeah. <laughs> Take all the As credit. If I did anything. Did this. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought yeah, when she, when he brought home that car, I shared her anger. I was like, what is this? This is like, yeah. he's acting like it's innocent, but really it felt like a big fuck you. And I, I'm sure that's not how he meant it. But that's how I, as Camille, would take it, you know, like, oh, I bring up that I want to possibly move and you bring something home that will keep us here for a year. And and then he keeps saying, don't be dramatic, six to eight months. It's like, just <laughs> don't just, yeah, that's semantics. Like the point is still valid. Yep. Yeah. I've ha- literally had somebody bring a car home. Wow. You that really they could. bought that I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> and so I can tell you. That doesn't feel good. And it is like that'll cause a fight. If you buy a car behind your spouse's back, that'll cause a really big fight. (laughs) That's that's a big purchase in divorce like three years later. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler. Sorry, but no, (laughs) it's true. I, you know, it's okay to laugh. It's hilarious. Three and a half years later, that was still being brought up as things really took a sharp turn when you brought a car home that I didn't know about. But anyway. Well, and even if we give him the benefit of the doubt that it didn't cost much because he said that, but then I thought, well, what does that mean? We don't really know. Just the fact that Uh it keeps him rooted to the house. Yeah. Even if it doesn't cost money, it spends time. It costs time, which to her is yes. more and, valuable right now. Yeah, yes. and I think that's her whole point. Is yes, she says this is our third act. The implicit meaning there is our third and final act. Yeah, uh-huh. our time is dwindling. How are we going to spend it? I don't want to spend it watching you work on the car in the driveway for the next six to eight months. Yes. I want to go do other things. Yeah. What a wonderful point of view. And I'm like, damn it, Zeke, you go travel with her. 
She mm-hmm. deserved it. Yes. <laughs> Let her yeah. go see all of the things. Yes. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. That's a beautiful thought. You're right. I just couldn't get it out of my head that Zeke is living for the past and she is trying to live for the future. You know, he wants to stay in the house. Or at least the present. Or at least the (laughs) present. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that's even more accurate. But like she wants, she wants her present to be all the things she that dreamt about for the future. You know, she wants to make the future a reality and not just keep putting it off for some future someday. And he just wants to keep like reminiscing about things that used to happen at that house. And while there's beauty in looking around at what you've built, it only works if they're both equally excited about doing that and they're not. Yeah. And she acknowledges that. Yeah. In this scene. Oh, nice. Everything I want is right here, Millie. This is it. This is, this is my third act with you. I want more. I want us to do wonderful things together. I I can picture us bragging about our grandchildren as we're boating down the Seine. I don't know. You know, I've I've been painting this yard for 20 years now. I kind of like to paint something else. Think how many things we could do. How many things we could afford to do if we sold the house? All the places we could see. Uh, I don't know. I've seen other places. I didn't really care for them. Why haven't I was so young when we got married. God, I was practically a baby myself when Adam was born. I'm not complaining, you know that. It's been a good life. It's been a beautiful life. I've loved every minute of it. But I'm ready for the next step. He was so wrapped up in his own point of view, his own, yeah. He was thinking, I've seen places, it's not that great. And he's thinking about his own point of view and she's like, I haven't, and like, take me. Take me to these places that you've seen. Let me have my own experiences, my own adventures. Yeah. I've been doing all of these things for the family for so long. I've, I love it. But now, how about we go do some fun things, just the two of us, and you show yeah. me these places that you've been. You show- I thought it was so romantic, the idea that she had of take me with you, Yeah, you know? I don't know. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And that she included all the things he was reminiscing about as part of that. She said, we'll go brag about our grandchildren while we do, you know, what will we do when we're in Paris? Talk about this great life we've created here. Like it's not, one doesn't cancel the other one out. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. And I just want to point out that my parents are in Tahiti right now on a cruise um, because they are in their third act. Like Mm. they're going and making memories and doing these. This is their second little adventure adventure that they've gone on. And they went on a European cruise a few years ago and they were supposed to go on this, um, this vacation two years ago, but then it got canceled. 
And I thought that Why? I Why? Was, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> some virus that was going around. And I was heartbroken for them when it got canceled because my dad, since he was, since I was a child, he would always say, ah, when he was frustrated at life and things were stressful, he'd be like, oh, I just want to fly off to Bora Bora. I should just go to Bora Bora. Like that was his escape. That was his idea of where he wanted to go in order to get away from it all. And so two years ago, they had this whole cruise where they were going to be going to Tahiti, Tahiti and Bora Bora, wow. the place that I had heard about my entire lifetime, where he wanted to go to escape from all of life. And I was so excited for them, so excited. And then it got canceled. And I was, I frankly was probably more heartbroken than them, probably mm. because I looked at their age and was like, they're not going to be able to go to Bora Bora. And this has been his dream as long as I've known. So yeah. I am so freaking excited, so incredibly excited that that is where they are right now. I love that. So they didn't yeah. have to sell their house, but it's still <laughs> like. I love that too. Yeah. <laughs> It would be nice if they could do both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I get it. Like I get that you parenthood, you you grow the kids, you survive the stupid baby stage. You they grow <laughs> up. And then if you make it through that shit, they <laughs> and they're out on their own, you get to do things as a couple together with fully grown kids. And this is your time. This is your time to do all of the things that you had wanted to do while those you dream about that. I, yeah. I dream about yeah. it. I dream yeah. about what I want to do when the kids are grown up. Now I love where I am with them now. Yeah. However, that doesn't mean that I don't have dreams of what it'll be like when they are grown and I can go do whatever I want. And I don't have to worry about, you know, whether I'm taking time away from them. Yeah. So I get, so much where she's coming from <laughs> it's hard yeah. to see his point of view for me because I'm so like 100% oh I feel what you're coming where you're coming from no I I me too yeah me too I I could see where he was coming from too though although I fall much more on her side in this conflict but it's part of what I thought made the scene so wonderful. I thought it was really well written and, of course, yes. beautifully acted. Yes. But I thought to him, it seems like this place, this house specifically, is like a refuge mm -hmm. for him. And yeah. to her, it feels like a cage. Yeah. And, oh. and I thought, but that's good. For, for him, I, you know, I go right back to like, is this what he dreamed of in Vietnam? And he didn't come from a great family background i mean his his mom mm. seems dismissive yeah of him and and then going to war and you know is this what he dreamed of his whole life is like, i just want a place oh. that is peaceful and mine and where i'm surrounded by people that i love and who love me and that's a beautiful dream and he got it yeah but mm -hmm. there has to be room in there for what her dream is too and that's what I thought was so great about this conflict. Yes. And so wonderful to show about people at this age. Yeah. It's actually one of my very favorite conflicts, I think, on the entire series because yeah. it feels so real and I really get where they're both coming from. 
And Mm -hmm. it really does not feel manufactured at all. Not that there's anything wrong with a little manufactured drama. We're watching TV for God's sakes, but like, I love the (laughs) ones that really you see yourself in, you know, or you see your parents in, or, you know, just recognize it's like looking in a mirror or out a window. I love it. It's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. I agree. I feel like we made some really great connections here. I think so. (laughs) The female brain, the taking and giving, the bending. Yeah. Oh, look at us. We're very we're... smart. I mean, come on. Oh, <laughs> no. man. Yeah. Very insightful and humble. Self Mischief five. managed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Self five. That is the best. <laughs> Aaron's just like, wow. Like, just like reaching out. It's great. Uh, no, but thank you, Aaron. I mean. You're yes. so welcome. I'm, yeah. I'm so excited to see your faces. So that's so great. Yeah. I did want to mention before we go, I think this is a terrible title for this episode. Yeah, it's awful. <laughs> Nipple <laughs> confusion. Yeah, I mean, it relates to like one That's of the smallest. One no. small part mm. of it. Yeah, tiny. I think they should have called it Something's Gotta Give yeah. or Bend It Like Becca. <laughs> yes, they should have <laughs> called it one of those. Uh, why didn't they ask yeah. us? Why didn't they go into the future and listen to this podcast and then name their episode? Why? Yeah. I mean, even though like no one good watching reason. it on TV ever knows what they're called anyway. Right. Uh, yeah. That's true. But still, we know. They just want to draw you in with the word nipple. Yeah. It works like a charm yeah. on everyone but Aida. That doesn't work, do anything for her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, everyone, thank you for listening. It was really wonderful for us to be here with Aaron and kind of reconnect with our dear friend. And you were there too. Thanks listeners. Please check us out on social media. We are parenthood pals at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just all the places. No, those three, those three places. (laughs) Those three. (laughs) And of course, parenthoodpals.com. That's right. Until next time. Hold on. Caleb, I had that stray thought. That stray thought. This is going to sound so dumb, but I just wanted to say that I found it enormously touching that Drew and Natalie, when they had the room to themselves, they played Scrabble. I thought that was precious. And it really reminded me of how like sometimes when you start college, all you want is to feel like an adult and you're in such a hurry to grow up and everyone around Drew is having sex. But like ultimately he likes a girl and she likes him. And they did this like completely innocent thing that probably reminded them of being kids just play Scrabble and I just really really loved it and I think that actually colored how I saw the entire storyline all right so well now I have to give my straight oh yes what is it whenever I see people playing Scrabble on the regular board I pity them (laughs) because the Scrabble set we had growing up the deluxe was the deluxe and it had raised edges on all the lines of the grid so you set a tile down and it don't move. <laughs> and, and I watch people just place it on a flat So precarious. Board, and I think, you better not jostle that baby because there's going to be tiles everywhere. And that's all I can think about. And, and I can't find those deluxe things anymore. Really? I don't know where they are. And somehow when my house that I grew up in, it's not my house, it was my parents' house, when that got sold... I somehow ended up with that Scrabble yes. from childhood. Wow. From a thousand miles away. I got it. I don't know how it happened, 
but I'm so grateful that it did. Lucky Aww. you. Do not let that go. That's right. <laughs> I don't plan to. <laughs> I'm so glad we had these Scrabble You can have anything. You will protect nothing except for that Scrabble. <laughs> that's your one item. If my building's on fire, Scrabble. that's what I grab. That's what you grab. That's, that's right. That's the one thing. That's the one thing. All right. All right. Well. And on that note, listeners. Yes. May God bless and keep you always. And may your wishes all come true.